0: We're continuing our journey together through the book of Acts. I hope you enjoyed uh, getting to be with uh, Adam Mitchell last week as he shared uh, from Acts 13 uh, with you. Uh, Adam is a great friend and um, I listened to his sermon and heard the things he's saying. I promise you I didn't pay him anything to say those things. Uh, uh, But he's a great friend and I hate to lose him. Uh, moving to Alabama, they live right across the street. So I hope you got hope you enjoy the opportunity of getting to listen uh, to Adam and and hear him share from God's word. But as a faith family, over the last couple of months, we've been walking through the book of Acts, not necessarily uh, verse by verse. Maybe one day we'll get to that point. that That would take us. That would be a long hike. Um, but we uh, we're just hitting some of the highlights here of Acts chapter 15 and seeing. Partly, what's God's plan for the church? What's what's, what's the purpose of the church? Why did God and why did Jesus commission us as a church, a community of faith, to to be here on this earth? And we talked about that. We we realize that we're here to be his representatives, his witnesses to the ends of the earth. We've seen the flow of how God really used the church and how the church exploded. It started right there in Jerusalem, and Jesus even told them that. You, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So Jerusalem was kind of the epicenter, and it just kind of exploded and worked its way out. God even used—we talked about this a few weeks ago. God used persecution to continue to you to allow the gospel and the church to grow and and permeate. ...that area. We saw that even though uh, Satan was trying to stop the the movement of the gospel... ...God used that evil of persecution. He used that for the church to explode. And we even talked about and saw a little bit about really around the world where persecution is taking place. We talked about places like China and India, the Middle East, where brothers and sisters in in Christ... uh, ...part of our faith family are being persecuted and how the gospel is really exploding in that area... And really because persecution is taking place. Anytime there's persecution, the gospel grows. The church grows and is purified and grown. Well, last week you saw with Adam in Acts 13 that Paul and Barnabas, they were released by the church in Antioch. Paul, who was Saul at the time, we talked about how he was persecuting the church, ravaging the church. He became a convert, a believer, and then became a leader in the church. Well, he was sent out onto a missionary journey, his first missionary journey. And if you have a map in the back of your Bible, you can even kind of see the missionary, different missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. And we saw that the, the church last week, the church of Antioch, released them out. And they traveled some 500 miles away. And as Paul and Barnabas were going around, as they always did, as the apostles went around, they stopped, they preached the gospel, and they started churches, they allowed those churches to mature, and then they would set up a pastor, and then they would move on. And every city they stopped, they preached the gospel. Men and women were saved, they established the churches, they moved down. And when we got, when last week you saw, you got about 500 miles away And then we're going to loop back here in Acts 15. They loop back to Antioch. And when they get to Antioch, a disagreement breaks out in the church. Imagine that, a church having a disagreement. uh, A a disagreement breaks uh, breaks out. So this is where we pick up here in Acts chapter 15. Okay. So if you have your Bible, look at it with me. Acts 15 and verse 1, it says this. But some men came down from Judea... And we're teaching the brothers. So what we, when we see this, we have to ask ourselves a question. When you read your Bible, make sure you're always asking yourselves questions. And it, so we see this. They were teaching the brothers. Well, we have to ask the question, what were they teaching? Some people came down. Paul and Barnabas had been in Antioch. Now we're back to Jerusalem. So some brothers had come down to Judea and they were teaching. So we have to ask the question, what were they teaching? Let's look at it. They were teaching, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders with this question. So being sent away by Sent, sent, away by their, sent on their way by the church, they pastored Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers, oh boy... <laughs> But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said... ...it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So what's happening here in these five verses that we just read? In this early church, you had some church leaders... ...whenever the Apostle Paul and the other apostles, when they set up churches, they appointed leaders... ...and so they had some church leaders who were teaching in their churches... ...that the only way people could have salvation a relationship with God was that they had to be circumcised, okay? Circumcision to you and I today is not really that a big deal. It's a pretty common place. I'm not going to go into the gory details. If you don't know what it is, we have some nurses and doctors in our church family. You can go talk to them about it, okay? But circumcision was a big deal to these Jews. It was huge, What did circumcision... And all the nurses are like, no, don't come talk to me. Don't talk to me right now. I don't want to talk about this. Circumcision was a big deal to the Jewish people. It was established in Genesis 17 as a sign between Abraham and God... ...that Abraham's family was God's chosen people... ...and that through his family, the Messiah, Jesus would come. Well, the Jews... And I've tried to find a better way to describe this, okay? So you're going to laugh... The Jews wore that like a badge of pride, okay? They wore it like a badge of pride. The fact that God had chosen... Some of you will get that later. They wore that like a badge of pride that they were God's chosen people. That the Messiah had come through them. So they thought, they were teaching that, okay, Abraham was circumcised and he circumcised his ancestors. Then, yes, God came... He sent Jesus to save the world, but you still need to be circumcised. Do you see what they were doing here? They were adding to salvation. Yes, Jesus came. He died on the cross for your sins. He was resurrected. But if you want to be saved, Gentiles, a non-Jew, you have to be circumcised. Well, of course, the Jews wore that like a badge of pride. Yeah, they were circumcised by God. They used our heritage. God used our heritage to bring about Jesus to save us. And so a big conflict flares up over this. There's a serious disagreement, as there should be, I would hope. Because look again in verse uh, 2. It says, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. You know what that meant? They had a big debate about this. They're going to have a big conversation about this. So this big conflict, it flares up. There's serious disagreement because here in Antioch, we're in Antioch right now. They're going to go to Jerusalem. In Antioch, there had been, in Antioch, the churches in Antioch were made up mostly of Gentiles. And so now you had Jewish people coming to these churches saying, all right, yes, Jesus died for your sins. Yes, he was resurrected. But you need to be circumcised to kind of just... Put the final nail into your salvation. There was there was a big conflict here. So basically the argument was this. Okay, Gentiles, all right, imagine. Let's put ourselves in their shoes. Imagine this. Imagine we're all members of the church in Antioch. We're all Gentiles. Okay, I think everyone in this room we're all Gentiles, unless someone here is of Jewish heritage. We're Gentiles. We've just come to realize the true meaning of who Jesus was as the Messiah. He came to die for us. And now there's Jewish people saying, all right, now for you to finish off your salvation, you need to be circumcised. You need to practice all the rituals of the Jewish people. What are some other rituals? They said, don't eat pigs, right? Here in Kansas City, with our love for barbecue, I think we'd have a big church conflict over that, Right. Like we love our bacon, we love our barbecue, and they said we can't eat pigs. So what they're saying is you have to submit yourself to the rituals of Judaism. So basically what they're saying is, Gentiles, you want to be saved? You have to be like a Jew. You have to be like a Jew. Though you are not of Jewish heritage, you have to fit this. They, here they are, what they're doing, what these uh, brothers these from Judea were doing, they were saying you have to fit, as a believer, into this cookie-cutter mold. You have to look this way in order to be a believer. And you can imagine how it would make us feel if we were in that situation. And I'm sure it made them feel that way 2,000 years ago. And so there's a big debate and dissension there in the church at Antioch. Some are saying, well, maybe we do need to follow the rituals of the Jews. Others are saying, no, we don't. So they send Paul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, they go to talk to the religious leaders about this. So they head to Jerusalem. They're heading to Jerusalem. And along the way, what does Paul do? That he's always doing. If you've read through the book of Acts, what's Paul doing? He's preaching the gospel. He's starting churches, he's setting up uh, leaders in the church, and he he stops, he tells the believers in Phoenicia and Samaria all what God had done on their first missionary missionary journey, and there's almost a moment of celebration for Paul and Barnabas, but then they get to Jerusalem, and when you read through the book of Acts, really as we go out through the rest of the book of Acts, whenever we get to Jerusalem, it's not going to be pretty, it's not going to be nice, So they get to Jerusalem, and they're welcomed by the church there. Okay, Remember, that church had been through a lot. What had happened to the church in Jerusalem? They had been ravaged, remember? Paul, who was Saul at the time, they went door to door, and they were arresting men and women for worshiping. They were taking all their belongings, taking their money, because they were believers. So they are now going back to Jerusalem. And they're in Jerusalem. They're welcomed by the church there. What a change. At one point, the church in Jerusalem once feared this man. Now they are excited to see him and welcoming them. And Paul tells them, this is what God did. This is what God did on our missionary journey. These churches were started. People were saved. But then, all of a sudden, some members of the party of the Pharisees, they said, well, these Gentiles... It's kind of interesting, Paul and Barnabas don't even have to bring the topic up, do they? They didn't even ask the question. These members of the Pharisees, they said, Well, these Gentiles that were saved on your missionary journey, if their salvation is going to be complete, what do they say? have to be circumcised. So this develops into Acts 15. This is a big moment in Christian history. I've said this a few times as we've walked through the book of Acts. Did you know that as we read the book of Acts, this is family history. This is family history. You and I uh, are sitting here because of what takes place in the, the book of Acts. We understand the spread of the gospel, went through Europe, eventually came to America. This is family history here. Maybe you're really into family genealogy and you like to go on to, I don't even know what it is anymore, ancestor.com and all these websites and you have. This is family history here. So this is a big moment in church history. This is a big moment for you and I. Bigger than the Revolutionary War or the Civil War, this is a big moment. This is called the Jerusalem Council. And so they're going to hash this out in a big room of council, some so-called experts in the room. They're going to hash this out. So they're going to have this big meeting to figure this out. Okay, Gentiles. Can they be saved? Can they have a relationship with God without circumcision? Alright, so let's keep going. Let's see what's going to happen. Verse 6. And the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up, of course. Who else? Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? So what is going on here? They're having much debate It's back and forth. They're having this debate. And, you know, in, in in our whatever version of Scripture you have in front of you, it looks like, oh, maybe this debate was a couple of minutes. I'm sure they hashed this out over hours. So finally, Peter stands up. And Peter says, "Listen everyone, do you remember when I said that Gentiles could hear the gospel and believe?" Now, what's Peter talking about? There's a little bit of uh, he's talking about the past. Do you remember a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 10 when Paul had the or Peter had the vision on that rooftop? You remember that? Peter was on the rooftop, he was going to pray, when all of a sudden he he fell into a vision. And what was that vision? Anyone remember what was the vision? A giant sheet falls from heaven. And what was in the sheet? Animals. There's all kinds of animals in that sheet. And what did God, through this vision, tell Peter to do? He said, kill and eat it. And Peter said, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm a Jew. I can't eat these animals that are in this sheet. I can't do it. And what did God tell him? He says, God shows no partiality. Well, then... God told Cornelius, you remember Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius was the man in charge of the Italian, the Italian uh, legion, he was a Roman man, he was not a Jew. And God told Cornelius to send his, his men to go find Peter, so Peter could come share the gospel in that area. Well, in that vision, God told Peter, some men are going to come, come for you, go with them, ask no questions. Peter goes with them. He goes to Cornelius. Cornelius had called all his family and friends. We talked about this about two weeks ago. He called all his family and friends together in that house. Then all of a sudden, the light bulb went off in Peter's mind. Peter figured out the vision. What was the vision? The gospel's for everyone. Peter was in a room full of Gentiles, non-Jews. And God revealed to him, the gospel is for all people. So then Peter went back to the church and he said, Listen, the Gentiles, they can hear the gospel and they can believe it. So in this meeting, this Jerusalem council, Peter refers back to all this. And he says that, we're, Are we, he basically asked the question, are we really going to add to this salvation that God has provided? Are we going to add to this? Are we going to add a yoke? And that's the idea of a yoke being on an ox. Are we going to make salvation a burden? For these Gentiles to where they have to fit into this Jewish rituals and they have to fit into this cookie cutter form of Christianity that we figured out. So you say, Adam, what is going on in here? You see in Acts 15, 15, Peter makes a great point. Then, 2000 years ago, but also today. This applies to today. See, I think sometimes we as Christians can be guilty of making salvation and a relationship with God a cookie-cutter salvation, don't we? We're guilty of that. We make salvation something other than the grace of God and believing in the work of Jesus Christ. You say, Adam, what do you mean? Does that really happen today? Does that really happen today? Well, let me give you an example. Let me tell you a little bit about my growing up years. Some of you, I've told you this maybe in like private conversations. I don't know if I've completely opened up about it in this kind of uh, format. But when I, I grew up, I was raised in a very legalistic church environment. This in church environment could be labeled, since we love to slap labels on each other as Christians, um, th- it could be described as independent fundamental Baptist. Okay? That, was, that was the church realm I grew up in. And I was taught in church, especially as a teenager, that if you wanted to have a right relationship with God, that's how it was phrased, if you want to be right with God, then you don't do certain things. Okay, and that list, you know, that, those certain things was like, don't do drugs, don't drink alcohol, don't listen to rock music, don't have sex, don't watch R-rated movies, and the list went on and on. Now, Now, hear me, okay? Those were good boundaries, okay? Some of those were good boundaries, all right? As a teenager, I didn't need to be out uh, drinking underage or uh, doing drugs because the consequences of, of those things could have been devastating, okay? So don't hear me wrong. I'm not advocating for those things, all right? But here's what I learned in that environment. Here's what I learned. I learned that everything has to be get to, to have a relationship with God, everything has to look good on the outside. I learned, and I got pretty good at it, at maintaining a facade of, oh, was a good kid. He's got good parents. He's in church. He's not doing these things that I mentioned on that list and more. And I was able to maintain and work up a facade and it wasn't until I was a teenager when I realized, you know what, a relationship with God is not maintaining some facade. It really wasn't until college that I realized I, my existence as a Christian is not about making God happy. My relationship is with God, honestly, is not anything what I can do or don't do, but it's what Jesus Christ has already done on the cross for me. And so what I learned was that I, can ha- I had to have everything together on the outside, the facade people saw, but in reality, in my heart, I was just as much as, I was just as rebellious as any other pagan. And so what, we can sit here, and I can see the empathy on your faces, thank you for having some empathy for me, I'm not looking for empathy, but thank you for some of those, the, the looks you all are shooting back at me right now. We can sit here and we can say, wow, that's terrible, Adam. I'm sorry for that experience. But if we're really honest, and because it's just simply, it's human nature, if we're really honest with ourselves, we can make salvation something more than just the grace of God through faith and the work of Jesus Christ. We can be guilty if we're not careful. We can be guilty of saying the Christian life has to look a certain way. You have to attend church, that's a good thing, don't hear me wrong. We have to read our Bible and pray, that's a good thing. Or give money to the church, or do good things for people, or simply in today's culture, a Christian, we're just supposed to be nice. Those are all good things, we should be those things. And those things are good. But faith family, hear me when I say this, when the rituals of Christian life are overemphasized, then what happens? What are we producing as a faith family? We are just producing a bunch of people who are able to conform to a mold rather than the heart being changed. What we can do if we overemphasize those things and we don't emphasize it in the correct, accurate way, what we are doing is we can produce people who act right, but they're not right inside. You see, here's what salvation is. What is salvation? Salvation is simply this. It's life change. That's what salvation is. It is a change of life. Not because of what we do or don't do. It's a heart change. Through salvation, an individual is changed in who they are. Not what they do. Now we're going to get to that in just a second. They are changed in who they are are there is an inner change it's called repentance it's an about face it's a spiritual 180 so then through that deep inner change what salvation provides through that change of heart and change of life then the actions are changed you see what that makes sense because here's the problem of modern day christianity at times some sects and groups of it What they emphasize is they emphasize the actions. That's what I was taught. Adam, act this way. Act this way. In reality, I was just as rotten inside as anybody else doing those things. It wasn't until my life was changed, my heart was changed, only through the work of the Holy Spirit, that my actions truly changed. So the question is, What inside us needs change? We don't like change, do we? We don't like change. But reality, the spiritual life, Christian life, is all about change. It's all about change. Because it's about Jesus. It's the grace of God that salvation is given to us and that through faith we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and through his resurrection that we can be saved, nothing else. So when we believe that, We are then what Jesus called born again. We're changed. We're a brand new person. And then as we enter into the Christian life, the life of a child of God adopted into his family through the work of Christ, then what happens as we grow to know more and more about the gospel, as we grow to know Jesus more and more and enter into a more and more intimate relationship with him, what happens is, is we become changed. It's called sanctification. We become one step closer to Jesus Christ. Now, we'll never reach full sanctification here on this earth, but we're changing. The life of a believer is a life of change. A life of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Because in the Christian life, if, if there's not change, there's stagnation. And stagnation leads to backsliding and sliding away from our love of Jesus. The Christian's life is full of change, not by what we do, but who we are, by the change that the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ brings up. So Peter, back here in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council, Peter is standing up and saying, time out here. Salvation is for all people, not by what ritual they follow, but by the work of Christ and who believe in it. Now let's keep going, verse 12. And what happens here, this is amazing. It says, and all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them, through the Gentiles. So now Paul and Barnabas jump into the middle of this conversation. They start to recount all that God had done on their missionary journey when they were sent out by the church in Antioch. And they begin to recount how many Gentiles were saved. Let's keep going, verse 13. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I, re- and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will, I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. So James stands up. We just saw what he said. Now, who is James? James was a pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He's also the brother of Jesus. He's the writer of the book of James in the New Testament. Some call it the Proverbs of the New Testament. If you haven't read James in a while, I encourage you to do it. And he steps in and he offers another angle to the argument. Okay, we've had Peter share. We've had Paul and Barnabas share about Gentiles being saved. And now James is going to present another perspective here. And he says, God told us from day one through the prophets that this is what he's going to be doing. And then what he does, we read this, we, he quotes Amos and Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophets, to prove his point. He said, listen, Amos and Jeremiah said, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. He said, God has said from day one that he would ransom from among all the tribes of the world, all the tongues and the languages of the world, all the nations on earth, that he would make a new people no longer marked out by ethnic preference... But rather a new man will come that has at its end a desire to make much of Jesus in a variety of ways. So this is what God has been doing since day one. So what James is saying, guys, listen, this is not new. This is not new information here. The prophets said this was going to happen. That people from all over the world, all tribes, nations, tongues, they are going to realize who Jesus is. So Jane's argument is God told us this was the way it was going to be from the beginning. So we should not ask the Gentiles to become like Jews. They don't have to submit to the Jewish rituals. And so they they decide that out. So then verse 20, let's keep going and then we'll be done says, verse 20, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and from blood, from the ancient generations Moses has, has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So they present the argument, and folks, this is an argument for you and I. Do you know that because of this, you and I would not be sitting here today We have a direct line back to what happened here in Acts chapter 15. These Jewish men, Peter, Paul, Barnabas, James, they are saying it is not about a ritual that we have a relationship with God. It is through faith in Jesus Christ and the grace of God, nothing else. So for us today, you may be sitting here today and you you have this feeling in your life of maybe I am... Maybe there's some separation from God in my life. Maybe you're sitting here and you have realized that for maybe your entire life, you've been following the ritual of going to church, which is a good one. I'm glad you do that. And giving money to the church and doing these good things. And you follow these rituals. Friends, listen to me. Faith family, listen. It is not about rituals that saves us. It is only through the work of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today, do not, please, do not trust in any kind of ritual for your salvation. It is only through the faith in Jesus Christ, through the grace of God. And let's, as a faith family, as we seek to share Jesus, disciple believers, and reach the nations, let's not be found guilty Let's not be found guilty of making salvation some kind of ritual. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your work in our lives. Thank you for being God's presence in our lives. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do the work in our lives that is necessary right in this moment. I pray, God, that first of all, if there's anyone here that is trusting in something other than Jesus Christ, some ritual, maybe it's just a ritual of going to church for their salvation, God, I pray that you would use your word to show them it is not about any ritual for salvation. It's only through the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those of us who are believers, God, protect us from building up a facade. Protect us from having, hiding behind a shell of a person that is, appears to have everything together, but really we're just as rotten and lost as any other person. I pray that you would authentically, Holy Spirit, make us more like Jesus Christ. Do whatever is necessary in our lives to make us more like Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. We're not going to.